Well, good morning, everyone. We are grateful and thankful to the Lord for allowing us to be here today. Um, earlier in the year when we, were, when we were with you, we had said to you that we had officially retired um, in October of last year. And after six months of retirement, I guess I got bored because I, I now pastor two churches down in the east and the West Dallas um, district and the Eulis, um, uh, Texas. But we had accepted this invitation to be with you before that appointment in May. And uh, so uh, we want you to pray for the Penuel Seventh-day Adventist Church and the Mosier Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church. The services are going on there, and we're enjoying our services here with you today. So we are glad to be here. And um, it is hot outside. What do you say? Nah? I tell people all the time, I said, now you want to stay close to Jesus during this time because you don't ever want to be in a place that's hotter than this. Come on, say amen. <laughs> so we are, we are thrilled to be here and, and we thank God for what he is doing. We want to thank those who came to our, to the seminar last night. It was on, we dealt with marriage and the institution of marriage last night and had a great time with those that were in attendance. And uh, we're looking forward to the seminar after lunch today, where we'll be dealing with the, the, the family in general and the things that God wants us to know as it relates to um, our families in general, and especially as we relate to our, to our children. It doesn't matter what age your children are. All of our children are grown, and as many of you have grown children. But one thing we've discovered about, about what God has given to us as, as parents, you never stop being a parent. Can I get a witness? Never stop being a parent. And um, today's message is going to focus in on, on a biblical character that we find in the book of, in the book of Judges, the 13th, the 13th chapter, dealing with the story of, of Samson and, uh, and his family. But I want you to pay close attention to what will be said today in terms of the counsel that God gives us from his word as we relate to our, our children, the responsibility that God has given to all of us as for those of us who are, who are parents. Our subject today is, How Shall We Order the Child? I'm going to invite you to pray, bow your heads with me and pray, and ask, let us ask God's blessings uh, as we open his word today. Eternal God, our Father, we are eternally grateful to you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord, that you brought us safely to this house of worship today. There is a message that you have for all of us, young and old, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us Help us that our ears might be open and that we will understand. And then when we leave here, we want to be able to be able to leave better than when we came in. Thank you so much for the forgiveness of sins that's offered through the blood of Christ. Bless and keep each one is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We appreciate the prayers for my wife, Carmen. She is, uh, you know, next month, Carmen and I will celebrate 52 years in marriage. Can you say Amen. Mm -hmm. And we thank God for that. We know we don't look that old. We, uh, we married young. Come on, say my. But we have a great time. When we observe the, the things that are happening in the world today, almost every week now, we are hearing of mass shootings and all of these types of things. And you ask yourself the question, where can, 
we be safe. Hmm? We got we've got threatened in 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 um, in hospitals and in large gatherings around around the country, and we just ought to just thank the Lord each day that we get up that we don't take this life for granted. What do you say? There's the increasing unrest in our country and in the world, and the continuous tension between cultures with its prevailing racist attitudes and diverse opinions. Um, and the question becomes, is rearing children and, and having healthy families, is it, is it a, more of a challenge now than it was 15, um, 15, 20, or 30 years ago? And I think that the resounding answer would be absolutely yes. Uh, but I would, I would posit that the principles involved uh, have not changed in terms of how our families and especially our, how we raise our, our children, those principles have not changed, even though the times and circumstances present even greater challenges for us than in times past. And the reason being is that the coming of Jesus Christ is sooner than when we first believed. And the, and the enemy is intensifying his efforts to do anything and everything that he can to distract us in terms of our preparation for that grand event. As we go forth in this message today, I want to suggest uh, to each of you that as a people who say that we believe in the soon coming of Jesus Christ and understand the need for daily preparation for his coming, we need to begin, first of all, to change our vocabulary. Last night we shared with those in attendance that we often talk about our problems and the problems of the world. We need to change our, uh, the, those things that, are, uh, that impact us and change the word problem and then just still instead call them challenges. They're only problems when we try to handle them ourselves. When we know that God is with us, he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us in any, any circumstance. Then those things that confront us are no longer problems for us. They are simply challenges, and we understand connected with God that there is no challenge that is bigger than God. Can somebody say amen today? Amen. And so we change, and we must change our vocabulary, because it's with great assurance that we take God at his word when he says, Be not anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. Philippians, the fourth chapter, and, and, verse, and verse 6. I'm often being a parent. How many parents do we have out in the audience today? Let me see your hands. Okay. Being a parent has its moments of fulfillment. In those moments of fulfillment, we dare to dream, we dare to hope and expect that our sons and our daughters will grow to, to be responsible Christian adults with unwavering commitment to God and healthy feelings about themselves that will allow them to relate to others well. But then there are other times along the way when those, where there are moments of defiance and disobedience, displays of temper and attitude and disrespect of sibling rivalry, times which have left us exhausted and frustrated and engulfed with the feeling of inadequacy. And it's during those times that you may have, the thought may have come into your heart, 
what were we thinking about when we had these kids? Hmm? But then we have to pause and think. Your kids are nothing more than a reflection of you. Come on, say amen. Huh? amen. So when they begin to act uh, like they have no sense, you know, they're just acting like you acted to your parents. Come on, say amen out there. Hmm? But the chief goal above all goals for parents should be to help our children become disciples of Jesus Christ. And the home is the best and yet sometimes the toughest place to make disciples. Parenting is a high calling whether you are a Christian or not. But if you are actively trying to make disciples for Christ of your children, you've got a huge task ahead of you. The good news, however, is that we are told by God that all scripture is useful in training for righteousness. Second Timothy three and verse 16. So the Bible becomes our resource book. It becomes the place where we can understand the will of God and and ask him, Lord, we need wisdom uh, to be able to live in this in this world, not just to raise our our children, but also to, to create an environment in our homes where that home environment becomes a safe arena for, our, for our, us to be able to talk with our, our spouses, a place where we can talk uh, and create that environment where we can talk to our children and our children can talk to us. Last night we, we said to the, uh, those in attendance that the one thing that we want to project to the congregation today is a safe place. Everybody say safe place. Safe. That's a place where in your home you create an environment where a person can be who they are as an individual. They can express their feelings and their opinions without fear of, of, of criticism or belittling uh, comments. A place where they can feel that, that they are accepted for who, for who they are. And even in these turbulent times, beloved, the challenges that face us as families... And especially as, as we're trying to raise children in this, in, this, uh, in this atmosphere, is that there is an enemy who is, con- who is um, intent on disturbing and causing unhappiness because he doesn't like that. He doesn't like us gathering here on, on the Sabbath because of the fact that when we come together as a people, when we come to worship God, the one thing that the, that the enemy dis- despises he does not like unity. He does not like for, for people to come together in, and, and create a, an atmosphere of, uh, and to be able to live in an atmosphere of, of happiness. In Judges 13, and I want you to turn your, in your Bibles there, Judges the 13th chapter, and I want you to look at, at verse 1. We're going to draw some lessons today from from the life of, of, a, of, an, of a biblical character by the name of Samson, who was the son of a man by the name of Manoah and his wife. Now, in this story, the wife is not mentioned, but some specific instructions is given to uh, Manoah's wife in terms of, of the child that, that she is going to be carrying and the, the specifics of what, um, from the Lord of what needs to happen. But notice in verse 13 and chapter 13 and verse 1, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This was a time of oppression. 
So what we are going through, even though the scenario is different, is something that has been repeated over and over throughout, throughout the course of history. Ever since the entrance of sin, uh, life on this earth is not a, 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 it has always been challenging, and it's always been uh, with some difficulty. Can I get a witness today? And so this is why the Lord tells us that, that, that the things that we go through are something common. Somebody has gone through the same things in their life before. And what he's looking for us to do is to turn our attention upon him for the, the necessary help that we have, that we need. The prevailing times of difficulty for the world and God's people does not prevent the will of God from being, from being carried out. God's purpose for every individual will not be thwarted. Every child that has been born has a purpose. Being before I formed thee in the belly, God says, I knew you. Jeremiah 1.5. Before we came out of our mother's womb, God already had a purpose for our lives. It's interesting that the scriptures would begin in, in Judges 13 verses 1 and 2 that in the midst of troublous times, God would visit a man by the name of Manoah and his, and his barren wife. Now it was interesting that in verse 2, the Bible notes that Manoah is married to a woman that can't have children. And yet, God comes to this couple and tells her, you are going to have a son. You are going to have a son. And the, the birth of this child is going to be a miracle. He's going to be a male child. Every child born is a miracle. What do you say? All praise and honor belongs to the God of the universe uh, whenever a child is brought into this world because only God is the giver of life. The news of the birth of their son was given by the angel of Jehovah, who is, who was Jesus, Christ, who is Jesus Christ, the creator, according to the Patriarchs and Prophets, page 560. All lives are his, are his. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men, John 1 and verses 3 and 4. And so for a child to be born in troublous times is a gift from God. Therefore, every child is precious, for they are the property of God. Now, there are some specific instructions that God gave Manoah and his wife. In verse 4 of that same chapter, Judges 13, he says, Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite uh, to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. His instruction to the woman was, was, uh, of the care of this child was specific. God's purpose for the child's life was also proclaimed. As parents, we ought to follow the counsel of the Lord for the proper upbringing of our child, of our children. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is probably one of the most misinterpreted texts in all of Scripture. Because the instructions to the, for the child's upbringing is, is it, this text is not a guarantee that when you do all that you can do as a parent, 
that when that child matures and gets older, they will come back and they will be what God wants them to be. And we, you, many of us can testify to the fact that you did the best you can, and yet that child still goes an opposite direction in which you, in which you would like for them to go. See, God gave the same instructions to Manoah that he gave to Manoah's wife regarding this child. And so Manoah asked an interesting question in verse 12. He said, how shall we order the child? In other words, Lord, you've given us this gift and we need some help in, 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 in rearing him. And so we come back to the text Proverbs 22 and verse 6 that says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, at first glance, we would think that this text means that if we, as parents, make sure that our children are in Sabbath school, they come to church regularly, they know their memory verses from a time that they're small, and they recite them, they say their prayers, they, they go, maybe you have sent them to a Christian school, uh, maybe you have uh, worship in your home uh, on a daily basis uh, with them, uh, that even as they grow and decide maybe later to sow their wild oats, that when they are old, they will come back to the Lord. Let us be clear. This text is not a guarantee that that will happen. And so we need to examine this text and what is God saying to us in that text? The idea of train up is to create a thirst in, build submission into. You are to do this with your child at all ages and every stage of their of their life. Train up a child. It has the idea of narrowing and in this verse it implies Channeling the child's conduct into the way of wisdom. Now, the book of James, the first chapter, tells us that any of you, any of you lack wisdom, well, that should include all of us. Come on, say amen. amen. Hmm? Let him ask of God. And so the guidance might include for that child dedicating them, him or her, to God and preparing the child for future responsibilities and adulthood. When we read the word child in this verse, we invariably think of an infant or a little one between the ages of four or a toddler age. But the biblical phrase isn't limited to that. The term child is broadly used in the Hebrew language, covering every age during the time that a child is under the roof of their parents. Every age from infancy to marriageable age is included. The whole time is considered the period of childhood, the period of the child being trained. Now, we train our children not just by word, but we train them by precept. Because you may be the only Bible, you may read the Bible to them, but they're watching us and watching you as adults. Come on, say amen. Amen. And they're going to imitate what they see. And what what is rooted and grounded them at, at an age when you've got them will lead them into adulthood. Now, uh, social scientists tell us that between the ages of 12 and 16, they call that that the danger zone. Because the child is, hormones are are, are starting to to produce and the child's behavior, and it's during that period when 
the parents and children begin to lock horns with each other because they are now adopting their own value system that in many ways is contrary to the value system of, of their parents. They are, their body is being prepared for reproduction, even though that may be years uh, down the line, hopefully. And, uh, the, 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 and so many changes are, are taking place. And it's said that the characteristics that a child begins to manifest between those ages, 12 16, to 16 or 17, is the same character that they will manifest when they become adults. And so the training becomes by precept and example. And as you read these words, you might get the impression that a little child is like a handful of putty or clay, uh, soft and palatable, that can be molded into what you want it to be. But notice that the words in the text say, train up, in a, train up a child in the way he should go. The term in, in that verse used in this passage means in keeping with or in cooperation with in accordance to something. And what is being implied here is that you train them up in the way that God wants them to go. You see, the purpose of, of, of training up a child is not to make them into what you want them to be. But when God created them, he had a purpose for each life. And there is a purpose. And so our responsibility as parents is to help them to discover what that purpose is. Can I get a witness today? Hmm? So the child doesn't, doesn't, the, the text doesn't say train up a child in the way that you think he should go. The Bible teaches that you should observe your child, discover his ways, his or her ways, their unique and characteristic mode, and adapt your training accordingly. Now the way, the word way in Proverbs usually means the path a person takes through life. It's not talking about their personality, it's not talking about their disposition or their, or their stage in life. It's talking about the path that a person takes through life. And consequently, the verse is saying that the parent should train up a child in the way of wisdom to live in the fear of the Lord. And the wise parent realizes that the sovereign God has given him or her a unique child whom he has planned, arranged, and prescribed to be a certain way with a certain set of attributes abilities, and personality traits. The wise parent discovers their child's uniqueness by study and observation. This is done by spending time in prayer, not praying just for your children, but praying with your children. And I don't care how old they are. All of our children are adults. We pray for them each and every day. Come on, say amen. Huh? You got to do that. Pray with them, pray for them, but also when they are with you, pray with them and let them know we are praying for your, your safety. We are praying for your protection. But most of all, we are praying that you will form a connection, a vital connection with the God who created you. Amen. Trusting God for wisdom. Spending time observing your child. Talking and listening to what they say. Sometimes young children come to us and they, and they'll say, they say, Pastor, I said, uh, I'm having problems with, um, well, a parent would say, I'm having problems with my children. Can you talk to them? So I talked to the young people and I said, uh, what's been going on? He said, my, he said, have you talked to your parents about this? Well, my parents don't listen to me. You ever heard that? No? My parents don't listen to me. 
to be able to listen to what they have. And then, especially in this world in which we're now living, this high age of technology, when they're surrounded by all of these types of things around us, we have to admit as parents, we don't live in their world. Hmm? These, some of these children are growing, these children are growing up in a, in a technological age and so that when I, we need to know something, I, I admit, I don't know this, so I call my, I call my, 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 my children, and especially now, I call my grandchildren. Amen. You know? Amen. I'm stuck here. I don't, know, I don't know what this computer is doing. You know? And they come and just in a, in a second, recognize it, fix it, and go on about their business. Now, the technology is good. But also the devil uses that technology to engulf their minds and to, and to, and to, and to feed into, into their heads all these other things. And this is where, where, as parents, we can never stop praying for our children. This is why we never stop being in, look, uh, in the training mode to try to create continually a thirst in their hearts for God. In short, the parent must become a student of their, of their child. As the parent discovers more about their child's uniqueness, he seeks to integrate the truths of God's word into that life in a way that makes them, that, that child, thirsty for more. And if your children are not in the house now, and you have children that are grown, when they come around you, they, they should see something different in you. You might have been hard, you might have been different when they were, when they were, when they were younger, but they only see a difference in you. As you get closer yourself to the love of God, your children ought to be able to see at any age where they are, they ought to be able to see that something has changed about you. And that change has come about because of your relationship with Jesus. Come on, say amen. amen. Hmm? amen. Now, the promise of Proverbs 22 and verse 6 then becomes meaningful. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, the Hebrew word for old does not necessarily mean old age. It means becoming mature. Spiritually mature. And you cannot take away the power of choice. Now, many people use that and they said, I must have did something wrong. My child went off and I must have did something wrong. Not necessarily. God created every, every individual with the ability to choose. That's what separates us from the lower animals. We have the ability to reason. We have the ability to choose. Fundamental to Christian understanding is the knowledge that God has given every person the freedom to choose whether he will submit himself to God's way of life or not. And the, and the word submit is a correct, correct word here for, because for this choice includes recognizing God as one's sovereign and looking to him as the authority to define right from wrong. The Garden of Eden is our supreme earthly example of the freedom of choice. Adam and Eve were knowledgeable of God's will for them. Well, pastor, how do you know that? Well, when in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, when Eve, Eve found herself engaged in conversation with the serpent, God had already told them, there's an enemy that's, 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 that's walking around here now, but he's confined to one area. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I don't want you to touch that. So he asked Eve, the serpent asked Eve, by the way, snakes still don't talk. Come on, say amen. Hmm? Hmm? amen. You can't eat of every tree of the garden. Oh, no, no, no. She said we can eat of any, all the trees of the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, because in the day that we eat of that tree, we will surely die. And then he planted that seed doubt and he says, oh, you won't, 
You won't surely die. And at that moment, Eve had a choice to make. She could either believe God and, and get away from that tree, which she shouldn't have been near in the first place. Come on, say amen. You see, sometimes we find ourselves, adults and children, venturing in on ground that clearly belongs to the devil. And so we, we, those are places and things that we need to avoid. And, we, and so she had put herself in that position. And now she had a choice to make. I'm either going to trust what this serpent has said. Or I'm going to trust what God has said. Who is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the origin of life. She chose to distrust God at that moment. Her sin was not in the eating of the fruit. It was in distrusting the word of God. She seduced her husband and convinced him. And I, I, I feel sorry for Adam. No, because Adam was looking at this, what is believed that Eve must have been about 14 feet tall. Perfect female and everything. Now, gentlemen, we've seen some beautiful women in our time, but not like that. Come on, say amen, huh? And so Adam must have been thinking, how can I give this up? How can I give this up? She was given to me, rib was taken out of my out of out of my side. Lord made and built the woman from that rib, and he's looking at that, and now he's pondering this in his in his mind, and now Adam now has to make a decision. Will I believe God that if that if if I lose Eve, will I get something better than this? And he he must have been pondering in his mind, I don't think so. So once again, now he's doubting the providence of God, and so he took up the fruit, and both of them now found themselves in sin, and everything that we are seeing on the earth now is a result of that bad decision that our first parents made. Can somebody say amen? amen. They were recipients of love and mercy. They had enjoyed face-to-face communion with God. They were given the choice of believing and trusting God's will for them and by obeying him, or they could choose to ignore God's warning and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They chose the latter and reaped the consequences of their choice. And as a result, God expelled them from the garden, lest they partake of the tree of life and live in a state of perpetual sin. Their choice brought a curse on themselves and their descendants. Adam and Eve's was the opposite of allowing God to be their sovereign. God, as with our children, teaches us, right from wrong, but it is still the individual's choice whether or not they will trust the wisdom and love of their parents. And somebody asked, doesn't God want his children to stay in his way? Of course. But just like we want our children to stay in the way of the will of God, but he does not want people in his family against their will. The Lord does not want forced obedience. Rather, he wants us to live in harmony with him based on our love for him. If the promises of God are included in an ironclad guarantee that children raised rightly by godly parents will absolutely remain in the, path, in the, in the faith as their adults, this would strip them of their freedom of choice. Are you with me today? Free will is given by God to every human being. Guaranteeing someone will make a choice 
cannot be done without God taking the freedom to choose out of their hands uh, of every child raised by believing parents. And in God's economy, there can never be any forced righteousness. Now, let's take a look, a little further look now as we go a little further. I'm not going to keep you here all day, but I just want you to examine this. Manoah and his wife were given a son, just as God had promised. And he was to be raised as a Nazarite. Now, it doesn't mean that he was of, of the Nazarene denomination. That's not it. Number six, Numbers chapter six, verses one through 21 describes what this entails. This vow of being a Nazarite was a vow of separation from the things of the world. He was to have nothing to do with any alcohol or his derivatives. The hair on his head was not to be shaved. It included and that included facial hair. It was a sign of separation and dedication to the God of the universe in such a way that that those who vowed themselves to the Lord would be easily recognizable by other people. Now, get this point. There must be a distinction between those that belong to God who say they belong to God and those who are not. Can I get a witness? Hmm? See, people ought to be able to know even by looking at you that there's something different. If there's a connection with God, a relationship with God, people ought to be able to see that connection. Because, because especially for the believer, if God has brought you out of the world and saved you from your sins and has cleansed you and made you brand new, because the Bible tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a what kind of creature? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If that has happened in your life, People ought to be able to see and notice it in your talk, in your walk, who you associate with, by your very looks. Somebody say amen. Amen. Son of Manoah and his wife would be named Samson. He was dedicated to the Lord while he was still in the womb because God calls us and appoints us before birth. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you and before thou camest. Forth out of the wound, I sanctified thee. And although we have all the freedom of choice to exercise, God's great desire is for us to be with him in his kingdom. We are predestined to be saved. That's God's purpose for us. But God also knows that there is the freedom of choice where we must choose to be saved. What do you say? The perfect example is the perfect parent in the universe was God himself. And the Bible tells us that he had a beautiful angel who decided that he didn't want to walk in the ways of God. His name in heaven was Lucifer. But because of his ways and his rebellion and his desire not to be God-like but to be God, he was expelled from heaven and his name became Satan and Lucifer, that old dragon called Satan and the devil. Power of choice. He had a choice to stay where it was sublime or he had a choice to go his own way. He decided to go his own, his own way. So the son, Samson, grew and his parents were true to the instructions given to them. Samson was talented. He was skillful. He possessed extraordinary strength, but his strength was not dependent on his well-developed muscles, uh, but upon his condition as a Nazarite, of which his uncut hair was a symbol. 
His outward appearance and abilities were identifying marks of his vow and his dedication to the Lord. And had Samson obeyed the divine command as faithfully as his parents had, he would have been a nobler and he would have had a nobler and happier destiny. Every child, every young person, every adult living was born with talents and abilities given by God to be used for his glory. Whether, whatever our capabilities or our potential, we will never reach our highest potential without recognizing its origin found only in God. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Samson was strong physically, but he was weak morally. No self-control. He saw a woman and demanded that his father get her for him. Samson didn't say to his father, Manoah, I saw this woman. She appealed to me. Can you make arrangements to get me introduced to her? No, he said, get her for me. She pleases me well. Now, even in the best of parenting, this demand by a son suggests some pampering on the part of his parents. Because at this moment, he was disrespectful. He was rebellious. Uh, It was the beginning of his ruin. He ignored all of his Christian training and he lost his ability to be able to make good decisions. Samson did not ask whether he could better glorify God when united with the object of his choice or whether he was placing himself in a position where he could not fulfill the purpose to, to be accomplished by his life. To all who seek first the honor of God. God has promised wisdom, but there is no promise to those who are bent on self-pleasing. And from this point, it was all downhill for Samson, trying to mix God with the world. And the challenges now are greater than ever before. We are nearer to the second coming of Jesus than ever before. Nearer now than when we first believed. And 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 5 tells us that in the last days, perilous times shall come, that men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. When God is out of the picture of a person's life or out of the picture in a, in a, in a, in a person's home, no good can come forth. If, a, if your child is in public school where there is no God presence, where there is no prayer, where there is no Bible reading, but even if they are, even if they went to a Christian school, parents must make sure that there is a God presence in that home. Say amen out there. Hmm? An environment must be created that will allow for full development of character that will fit the members of the family for the kingdom of God. Now, here's a counsel that I want to give to the young people in this in this audience today. God has a purpose for each of you. Your quest must be to discover that purpose. Get an education. Strive to be more than just mediocre. If your parents have 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 sent you to a church school, count it a privilege. If not, understand that they are. Even in the home, when they have worship, they're doing what is best for you. 
Use your God-given intelligence to fulfill your hopes and dreams, but understand that you will always hit a brick wall eventually if God is not in your life. Investigate for yourself this man called Jesus. Some of you are, are just a hair breath from adulthood. What is your value system that you are adopting? There's only two. So, you know, my grandchildren, we got four grandchildren, and all of them now are young adults. And, um, and I asked them the question one, one, once, what standard do you use for your living? There's only two. Either God's standards or the world's standards or society. Society standards let you do anything and say everything is open to you. You can do anything that pleases you. But it's not a good end. You will learn that you cannot compromise your principles all week long and then come to church expecting some miraculous change when you walk through those doors. Because it's what you feed on during the week that will dictate your thoughts on the Sabbath. If you are here, young folks, in body, because that's the way of your house. You're here because your parents say we had to come to church. Then ask yourself this question. What is so distasteful about that? Is it the church? Or is it you? Ask yourself, am I like Samson? Samson was hard-headed. Just as he was entering adulthood, the time when he was to execute his divine mission, the time above all others when he should have been true to God, he connected himself with the enemies of God. When Delilah, the woman, seduced Samson, she preyed on his moral weakness. And when he finally told her all his heart, she gave him over to the enemy. They shaved off his hair. And although his hair was a symbol of his consecration and dedication to the Lord, when he lost his strength, his strength was found, was found in his abandoning his connection with God. Samson lost more than his flowing locks. He gave his heart, a heart that had been directed to God, he gave his heart to Satan. Life is about choices. Weigh what the Lord offers and weigh what the enemy offers. The enemy has death. God's got life. Come on, say amen. Hmm? I often think about, uh, about this. Uh, Satan didn't have, Lucifer didn't have sense enough to stay where it was good. And he got kicked out. Why would, and so the question comes, why would you want to follow a loser? Follow God. Come on, say amen. amen. Satan offers a world of happiness that he knows cannot exist without God in the life. Satan says, serve me by being good to yourself and do what feels good to you. He lies because that is what he does. And that's what he's, that's what he's about. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And have it more abundantly. 
Jesus laid down his life in order that we might have life, a quality of life that cannot even be imagined both now and forever. In suffering and humiliation, now Samson learned more of his own weakness than he had ever known before, and his affliction led him to repentance. Before he died, he said, Lord, I'm repenting of my sins. I, I, I want to reconnect with you. That lets us know, beloved, I don't care how old you get, God never gives up on us. Come on, say amen. amen. And, and, and even though his strength, was, his strength now was being renewed because the Bible says that, that we will one day mount up as wings as eagles. Our, when, our, when we give God our allegiance, he renews our strength. Do you know why? Because we are pursued by a rent, relentless God who loves us so much that he'll never give up on us. Amen. Now, here's some counsel to the parents as we're coming down to the end of this today. Study God's counsel in raising your children. Follow to know God's design for them and your own and not your own ideas. Don't make it difficult for the children. Ellen White says in Adventist Home, page 310, unsteadiness in family government at one time holding firmly the line firmly and at other times allowing that which has been condemned is ruination to a child. We're going to talk about that in the afternoon session in terms of balance and raising our children. As parents, let us not be hard-headed. Let us be wise, seeking at every turn God's, God's direction. Let's remember that our children are God's property. Parents, do you understand that God does not just want their success. He wants their sincerity. He doesn't just want their achievement. He wants their obedience. He doesn't just want their talent. He wants their commitment. He doesn't just want their possession. He wants their passion. He doesn't just want their beauty. He wants their behavior. He doesn't just want their brain. He wants their heart. He doesn't want, just want their knowledge. He wants their loyalty. He doesn't just want their ability. He wants their ambition. He doesn't just want their time. He wants them for eternity. He does not want them to go, want them in hell. He wants them in heaven with him. What do you say? Amen. Fathers and mothers may have the most ambitious desire for their children, but the only, but only the children can fulfill those ambitions. Only the children can answer. We are able. So that the children, once again, I say, are you able to dream the impossible dream? Are you able to move from elementary to high school and from high school to college? Are you able to think big, knowing that with God, all things are possible? Are you able to set high standards for your moral, social, and spiritual life? Are you able to show respect to your parents and obey them in the way of the Lord? Are you able to abstain from sex until marriage and wait on God for marriage? Are you able to refuse drugs and alcohol and pornography, lying and stealing? Are you able to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, even though your friends may not do so? Do you have the desire today to give your life over completely to Jesus Christ?
My dad was 83 years old when he when he died. And when we were when my when we would go back to Kentucky and uh, and visit our parents when they were living and uh, my son asked me he said dad I noticed that when you go go to grandpa's house you there's something different you you act different in in his house I said why is that I said cuz that's his house it's his house okay. cuz I had told him all his life I said now while you're in this house got to abide by the rules of this house okay. when you get your own house then you make up your own rules and you follow them there's certain things I won't do in your house he said why I said cuz it's your house but I hope that in that house that God is the center of that house when God is made the center of that house then things will go a lot better for you when you make God first didn't he say if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these other things will be added unto you hmm? I'm going to make an appeal right now and at first I'm going to talk to the young people here I want to know are you willing today to be able to say yes I'm determined that I'm going to follow Jesus. My parents may have given me have given me the uh, the foundation, they've given me some some things to to look at, but ultimately that's my decision. And I'm wondering today if uh, the young people that are here today would be willing to come down to the front so that we can pray with you. And say Is this annoying? I say, Lord, today I'm committing my life to you. Not what my friends say, not what my friends do, not what society is, is teaching me or, or trying to teach me. But I'm making up my own mind today that I'm I'm going to come and I'm going to commit myself to you as Lord and Savior of my life. Any young person. There's no forced obedience here. There's, this is all your free will. You believe that God is the answer for your life. Praise God. Praise God. Your coming is signifying that I'm not going to be influenced by the world. I'm going to be influenced by the Lord. God bless you, my friend. God bless you. God bless you. These little ones, these young people that are standing here are a testimony that that God's way is the best way. What do you say? They've made a decision that they're committing their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the parents, these children to stay strong, you've got to make a commitment to the Lord. And you're going to signify by your standing that yes, I'm in with the Lord. I'm all in for him and with him. That's your desire. I want you to stand. Every parent. And even if your children are not here and you've got adult children and you're saying by your standing, I'm going to live with Jesus in such a way that my children, even though they may have their own children, will know that safety is in connecting with Jesus Christ. Lord God, we stand here today in your presence as parents, children, and young, young, young adults. Knowing now, Lord, that you are the answer to everything that we need. 
Our connection to you is vital. It is necessary. It's a matter of our being able to live our life in eternity with you. And Lord, with all the things that are going on, parents and children alike are standing here saying, we choose Jesus today, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray for each of these young people that are standing here, committing themselves anew to you. We pray, Lord, that you would surround them with your hedge of protection. Blanket them, I pray, Lord, with strong faith to be able to withstand the things that confront them. Things for these young people, Lord, are altogether different in the world that they're growing up in than it was for many of us standing here as adults. Their challenges are greater, and they need your wisdom. They need the guidance of your Holy Spirit each and every day of their life so that every decision that they make will glorify you. Bless them, we pray, dear Lord. Strengthen them and bless every home, every parent here. Help us to rely on you as never before so that when Jesus does come, as families, we'll be able to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I want you to turn in your hymn books to page 306. to sing this song just like we do in the south I'm going to sing the verse and then you come in with me on the chorus and then we'll sing the second verse together okay you notice that we've slowed it down Lord, to the 
can see we're making a request of the Lord. We want him to draw us nearer. So let's sing it with that kind of deep heart that we want him to draw us nearer. Ready? Consecrate me now to the soul. Pastor Ledesma, for allowing us to be with you today. It's been a joy and a pleasure to be with you. And I pray that you'll stay for lunch and that um, you'll stay for the seminar following that. Asking for only for about a little over an hour of your time. Um, something that we believe will, will strengthen and help strengthen our families. We've called this weekend Resilient Families because that's what we are. We can bounce back with God's help on, from anything. Come on, say amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us this, this morning. We thank you, Lord, for every man, woman, and child in this sanctuary today. We pray for every family member. We've all got children, Lord. Some of our children are grown, and wherever they are right now, we ask, Lord, your hedge of protection around them. We ask that you would speak to their hearts and just help them to see their need of you. Draw them as you draw us nearer to you. We pray as we are dismissed from this service, but never from your presence. We pray that the God of heaven would be in us to sustain us, beneath us to uphold us, above us to shelter us, before us to guide us, behind us to protect us. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son, in the name of the blessed Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. God bless you.